You're tuned to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The following program is a rebroadcast of Miracle Hunter with Michael O'Neill. Welcome to The Miracle Hunter, where it doesn't matter if you are a believer or a skeptic, it's always worth the hunt. My name is Michael O'Neill. I am The Miracle Hunter and the creator of the website MiracleHunter.com. I'll be your host for the next hour as we continue our weekly exploration of the world of miracles. On past episodes, we've interviewed a wide variety of guests, uh, authors, filmmakers, academics, magazine editors, and rectors of shrines. Uh, today, we're going to interview maybe our most unique guest yet, a man who is traveling around the United States and collecting miracle stories. You'll hear more about his Journey for Miracles project later in the program. And of course, in just a bit, we'll be asking you a new Catholic pub trivia question, so get your pens and paper ready. Later in the show, we'll be talking about how Our Lady is honored around the world on today, February 25th, in our segment, 365 Days with Mary. More information on this project can be found at 365dayswithmary.com or on Facebook, 365 Days with Mary. Now, turning to miracle news, uh, this, this week's news, um, you know, in past weeks, I think uh, we just very briefly touched on this Indiana case, uh, the story of a possession and successful exorcism. Uh, there's been a lot of coverage in the secular media about this story. Uh, there's a great article right now on the National Catholic Register about God's healing power in this particular case and in related instances of possession. Um, but now we have the news uh, that's circulating that there's going to be some new exorcists around towns throughout the United States. Um, you know, four decades ago we had this uh, popular uh, movie uh, that went into that came into prominence uh, called The Exorcist. And uh, that sort of caught people's imaginations, those horror flick. Um, but now the Catholic Church is training a new legion of demon-fighting priests. There are 50 U.S. priests that have recently been chosen to train uh, in the rite of exorcism. It's the Church's first effort in the United States to coordinate a, quote, comprehensive and systematic formation process for this particular ministry, end quote. So they've had four, they'll have four sessions over the next two years, and they'll learn about the discernment of spirits, the study of angels and demons, and exorcist assessment procedures, amongst other things. Uh, this training is conducted through the Pope Leo XIII Institute in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and it's going to take place at a seminary in Illinois. Uh, so it's really a big moment for exorcists, I think, Dioceses in Italy and Spain uh, have long been increasing their ranks because of what they're calling an unprecedented rise in demonic possession. Archbishop Rocco said last year he nominated eight more priests to undergo the training uh, because of this influx. Um, church leaders have been attributing this rise in possessions to people who are dabbling in the occult, uh, practicing witchcraft, uh, working with psychics, uh, playing with Ouija boards, that sort of thing. Um, Father Balmonte uh, is the president of the International Association for Exorcists. In an interview with La Repubblica in December, said diabolical possessions are on the increase as a result of people subscribing to occultism. So priests are cautioned to distinguish between possession and mental illness. I think that's obviously an important and obvious point, but these two things are a very different matter uh, if you look at the catechism of the Catholic Church. So that's the uh, latest in Miracle News. Uh, that's, for more information on this story, uh, you can visit MiracleHunter.com and read up a little bit, and also the National Catholic Register has a great article today. So to keep up to date with the latest in Miracle News, uh, please visit MiracleHunter.com and sign up for our newsletter. You'll receive a monthly email with the latest Miracle Hunter news, including reports on latest miracles and news stories, uh, links to past radio episode podcasts, Updates on my television series, Miracle Hunters, now in development, and my book, Hunting for a Miracle, due out in fall 2014, 
any upcoming speaking engagements, and much, much more. So sign up for the newsletter on MiracleHunter.com by clicking the newsletter link at the bottom of the page. We'll be turning now to our mailbag, or email inbox, as it were, for a question that uh, I received this week. Uh, we got a question from Gregory, who writes, Dear Miracle Hunter, I know that the apparition of La Salette has full church approval. What about the secret of La Salette? It contains the phrase, Rome will lose the faith and become the seat of the Antichrist. In Christ, Gregory. Uh, Gregory, excellent question. I think uh, I get tons of questions about uh, the apparition at La Salette, and uh, it really, truly is one of the most controversial apparitions around there, and this is such a difficult question to answer, so great question. And uh, in the future, I'm going to be doing a full program on Our Lady of La Salette, so we can get the complete lowdown on that. But for people who don't know, on September 19th, 1846, Maximin Giraud and Melanie Calvat, uh, two children, reported seeing the Virgin Mary on Mount Sous-le-Bassay, and they were weeping very, and she was weeping very bitterly. Um, according to the account of the children, she continued to weep even as she was speaking, uh, and she, was, she spoke first in French and then in their native dialect. Um, and after speaking, the apparition vanished, went away. The following day, the children gave their account of the apparition, and it was put into writing and signed by the visionaries and those who had heard the story as witnesses. Now, after five years of research, the Bishop of Grenoble, uh, Philibert de Bruyard, he recognized the authenticity of these apparitions, and Pope Pius IX actually approved the devotion to Our Lady of La Salette. So it is a fully approved apparition, both the bishop and the pope have uh, made this approval. But the controversy, however, revolves around what they call the secret of La Salette. The children had reported that in addition to seeing the Virgin Mary, uh, that they had uh, each been given a special secret. Uh, these two secrets, which Melanie or Maximine has ever made known to each other, uh, as the story goes. Uh, they were sent in 1851 to Pope Pius IX at the advice of Monsignor de Bruyard. Um, now, Calvat, she recorded her secret on, in 1851 at the Sisters of Providence residence, and she took it to the bishop's house. The following day, she said she had not expressed herself well in this letter, and the things that were to come, uh, sort of the predictions. Um, so she decided to write a new letter. So a couple days later, on July 3rd, she, asked, she was asked to rewrite her letter, and then the bishop read the document, sealed it in an envelope, and sent it. It gets more confusing, unfortunately. There are two versions of the secret of Melanie, not relating to the two that were done in 1851. Uh, the one final one that was written in 1851, and another one published in 1879 in Lecce, Italy, uh, where the local bishop gave his approval to the 1879 secret. Now, this is really where the controversy lies in this second secret, this 1879 version. Um, it contains the phrase, Rome will lose the faith and become the seat of the Antichrist. Uh, that's what everybody jumps up and down about. Uh, it was given the approval of the local bishop. Um, however, this is not considered to be part of the approval of the apparitions of Our Lady of La Salette. They've never been validated by the Vatican, and so, you know, I think the advice on this one is that we can keep in mind that the secret is not approved, uh, but the apparitions were determined to be supernatural. So you have to draw a distinction between these two parts. The uh, apparitions are approved, but the, the secret, especially in the version 1879, is not approved. So very complicated, very tricky. Um, of course, I, I think that, in general, the advice to not put a lot of stock or emphasis on these uh, secrets um, throughout your, you know, in your life of faith is probably the smartest thing to do, especially in a case where it's so confusing and there's so many versions of the secret, we don't know what to make of it. So uh, that's, that's a summary of Our Lady of La Salette and the controversy there. But as I mentioned before, we're going to try and do a program on this and see if we can clarify it any further. So thanks for your question, Gregory. 
And if you have questions for the Miracle Hunter, I encourage you to send an email to questions at miraclehunter.com. Now, next, I'd like to do our Catholic Pub trivia question for today. Uh, each week, I've been asking a trivia question and giving out a prize for a caller that gets the right answer. This week, we'll be giving away a framed image of a piece of artwork entitled The Faces of Mary. Uh, we've been sending one of these out each week to the caller that gets the right answer. It's a photo mosaic of over 100 images of Our Lady that forms a beautiful picture of the Madonna and Child when you step back to look at it. Now, trivia questions are generously provided by Catholic Pub Trivia, an organization that partners with Catholic parishes, schools, or religious organizations to host trivia night fundraisers at local establishments. For those of you who are in the Chicago area, there's a great article that came out about Catholic Pub Trivia in the Catholic New World. So check that out if you're interested in how Catholic Pub Trivia works. Uh, for more information on Catholic Pub Trivia or to organize an event in your area, please visit CatholicPubTrivia.com. Now, we always try to keep the questions related to the theme of the day's program. Uh, later in the show, we're going to be talking about one man's journey across our nation uh, looking for miracles. Uh, so here's a question related to pilgrimages. Also the name of a coupe utility vehicle, first produced by Chevrolet in 1959, what is the famous pilgrimage route to the Cathedral of Santiago de Compostela in northwestern Spain? So again, that question was, also the name of a coupe utility vehicle, first produced by Chevrolet in 1959, what is the famous route to the Cathedral of Santiago de Compostela in northwestern Spain. And for more information on Catholic Pub Trivia or to organize an event in your area, please visit catholicpubtrivia.com. For those just joining the program, this is Michael O'Neill, and you are listening to the Miracle Hunter radio show. And for more information on this program or my research on miracles, please visit miraclehunter.com. For our next segment of the show, we're going to be covering what we always do, which is 365 Days with Mary. Each week we've been doing this special segment, and uh, for each and every day of the year, somewhere in the world there is a Marian title, feast, or commemoration of an apparition or other miraculous event being celebrated. All the dates with their feasts are collected into one resource, uh, 365 Days with Mary. Each entry features images, a description, history of the feast day, along with information on the shrines associated with them, including visitor information and links for people who want to see these places. You can also find a prayer for each title of Our Lady, and you can pray to her under this title each day of the year. This project's available in the form of a daily engagement calendar in print form, but it's also available online, 365dayswithmary.com, and we're also on Facebook and Twitter, where if you like us, You'll automatically receive information about each feast day and learn more about our Blessed Mother and how she's honored around the world on that day. So be sure to like 365 Days with Mary on Facebook. Visit the website, 365dayswithmary.com, to see the project. The print version in the form of a daily organizer makes a great gift for anyone with a devotion to Our Lady. For today, uh, February 25th, we're celebrating the icon of the Mother of God, the Ivoron icon. And uh, during the reign of Emperor Theophilus, uh, he was alive from the years 829 to 842, or that was his reign, uh, um, there was this heresy in the form of iconoclasm, and that's sort of the heresy of destroying images of Jesus and Mary. Um, in accordance with the emperor's command, Thousands of soldiers went throughout the empire, and they searched every corner, every city, and looked everywhere for hidden icons. Now, this is in Russia, mind you. Now, the city, now near the city of Nicaea, there lived a certain pious widow who had concealed an icon of Our Lady. Before long, the soldiers discovered it, and one of them took a spear and thrust it into the image. Um, this terrible deed was overshadowed by a miracle. Blood flowed forth from the wound on the face of the Mother of God. Uh, the frightened soldiers quickly fled when they saw this. And the widow uh, spent the whole night praying in front of this miraculous image of Our Lady. In the morning, according to what she believed was God's will, she took the icon to the sea and she threw it into the water. 
the icon floated upright across the waves and began to sail westward. Now, time passed, and uh, one evening uh, the monks of the monastery of Ivoron on Mount Athos, they saw a pillar of light shining upon the sea like the sun, um, and this was in the year, uh, around the year 1000. Now, this miraculous image lasted several days uh, while the fathers of the Holy Mountain gathered together looking at the marvel. Finally, they descended to the edge of the sea where they beheld the pillar of light standing above the icon of Our Lady. But when they approached it, the icon moved further and further out to the sea. Um, at the time, there's this uh, Gregorian monk, his name is Gabriel, um, and he's, he was one of the workers uh, at the Ivron Monastery. And Our Lady, he, he had a vision of Our Lady, who appeared to the fathers on the Holy Mountain, and told them that Gabriel alone was worthy to retrieve the holy icon from the sea. At the same time, she appeared uh, to Gabriel and told him, Go out into the sea and walk upon the waves with faith, and we'll all witness my love and mercy for your monastery. So, the monks of Mount Athos, they got Gabriel uh, from the Georgian monastery, and they led him to the sea, and they were encompassing him with hymns and prayers um, and, and holy incense. Uh, Gabriel started to walk out onto the water, and as though it was just dry land, so this is a miracle of another person who's not Jesus walking on the water. And he walked out to the icon, and he took it up in his arms, and he obediently carried it back to shore. While the monks were celebrating uh, a thanksgiving, a spring miraculously uh, gushed forth from the ground where the icon stood. So they were all gathered around in prayer and thanksgiving. And afterwards, they took the icon to the local church and set it down in the sanctuary uh, where they revered it with great reverence. The next morning, one of the monks came to light a lamp and discovered that the icon was no longer where they had left it. Now it was hanging on a wall uh, near the entrance gate. The disbelieving monks took it down and returned it to the sanctuary, but the next day the icon was there again at the monastery gate. So this miracle occurred several times over until Our Lady appeared again to Gabriel, saying, Announce to the brothers that from this day they should not carry me away, for what I desire is to be protected by you, rather I will be overshadowing you, both in this life and to the age to come. As long as you see my icon in the monastery, the grace and mercy of my son shall never be lacking. Now, they're filled with an incredible joy. The monks built a small church near the monastery gate to glorify Our Lady, and they placed this wonder-working icon inside. The holy icon came to be known as the Ivoron Mother of God, and in Greek, Portratisa. By the grace of this miraculous icon of Ivoron, of the Theotokos, the Mother of God, many miracles have taken place and continue to take place throughout the world. This is Michael O'Neill, and you are listening to the Miracle Hunter radio show. We'll be talking uh, with Phil Petrie coming up about his project, Journeys for Miracles, uh, when we come back, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll have Phil on the line, and we will interview him on just how this exactly works. So thanks so much, and we'll be back with you shortly. You're tuned to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you're listening to is a rebroadcast of Miracle Hunter with Michael O'Neill. 
Welcome back to the Miracle Hunter Radio Show. This is Michael O'Neill. We'll be joining our guest just shortly, uh, and we'll talk to him about his project, Journeys for Miracles. But first, we had a caller uh, for our Catholic Pub Trivia question, and I'll repeat the question, and I'll tell you the answer. So the question for today was, also the name of a coupe utility vehicle first produced by Chevrolet in 1959, what is the famous pilgrimage route to the Cathedral of Santiago de Compostela in northwestern Spain? And the answer to that question is the El Camino. El Camino literally means the road in Spanish. is the nickname for the Way of St. James, which is a pilgrimage route to the traditional burial place of St. James the Greater in Spain. The car, the El Camino, was a product of Chevy between the years 1959 and 60 and 1964 and 87. So we had several callers call in for that one, and they had the right answer. So thanks very much for calling in to Catholic, for Catholic Club Trivia, and we will send you an uh, image of the faces of Mary. And now we're joined by, by our guest, uh, Phil Petrie, who is the creator of the project's journey, Project Journey for Miracles in which he's traveling around the United States and gathering stories of miracles that are being experienced by everyone that he runs into. So welcome to the show today, Phil. Hi. How are you doing, Michael? Great, great. Good to talk to you again, and thank you for being here. Sure. And so I just wanted uh, you know, to tell uh, the, the listeners a little bit about your project. I mean, I, I think it's pretty fascinating um, how you are. you have a drive to go out and get get these miracle stories. So tell us a little bit. How did you first come, come, out, come up with this idea, and tell us how the project's going? Well, it's, uh, the project's in its infancy, uh, but the idea came about from talking to friends of mine who are priests and listening to them tell stories about things that happen in their lives. I mean, oftentimes we forget that priests are very human. They are simply that, human beings. And they, they have the same feelings and experiences that many of us have, but they also have the ability to see things from a higher level than we do. In other words, they see things happen within their own parish and their own flock that they can connect dots that we can't always connect. And, and I'm listening to this, and I realize these guys, they see the greatest in human beings, and they see the very worst in human beings. And they have so many stories that really are shining examples of God's greatest timing, His greatest love, and His greatest compassion and wisdom. And sometimes even these stories take years to play out. And I realize these stories don't get told. And I decided that I wanted to tell the story. So I, I've looked at this project over four or five years, and I've looked at different ways to try to get out and, and get the stories. I, I thought of, you know, I'll send a mailing out to all the priests and ask them to send me their stories. And then I thought, oh, that's too expensive. So what I'll do is I'll, uh, I, I'll Skype with them. And then you realize, well, not very many priests Skype. It's kind of <laughs> hard to get, it, it's really hard to get the stories. Sure. So. So then I thought, well, you know, I, I need to figure out how to do this. And I just, you know, I, I would keep picking at it, trying to figure out a way to, to get this project to move forward. And then uh, uh, earlier this year, um, I was sitting there, and, and I came across the name of someone at the uh, U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops. And I thought, oh, I'll reach out to this person and see if they have any idea how to move this forward. And this, this uh, sister, she very kindly sent me some information back, and she said, you really want to reach out and talk to this guy? And I said, okay. So I reached out to him, and it turns out that um, he has a, uh, a newsletter that goes out to every priest in the United States. Wow. And, he's, and he says, oh, yeah, I'll gladly promote this project for you, because I think I think this is something that needs to be done, and I think these are stories that need to be told. Well, that was a great so, connection right there. Right. It, it was. It, so before I could blink an eye, something that I had been trying to figure out how to do for five years was lit on fire. 
And so I, I sat down in my favorite chair at home, and I sat there, and I, I said a prayer, and I said, God, if you want this to happen, only you can make it happen. You know what my burdens are. You know what, you know, what my obstacles are. Only you can make this happen. And every single day, a different obstacle just melts away. And it's it's been the most amazing and most exciting journey, and I haven't even left home yet. So the idea of the project is to travel around the United States. Uh, my first stop will be in Atlanta for the uh, um, uh, the U.S. Council of the Federation of Priests. They have their annual meeting in May, so I'll be stopping there to interview some priests. And then traveling the southern United States westward, up to, over to California, up the Pacific Coast, and then kind of zigzagging north and south, back and forth across the Midwest until I hit uh, Pennsylvania, and then I'll go back into the northeast and then work my way back down the eastern seaboard until I get home. The entire trip will take about six months. And wow. I'll be spent yeah, that's a long time to be gone, and I'll be doing it in my car. So uh, I'll be spending, on average, about three days per state. Some states will take a little longer, like California. Some states will take a little bit less time, like Rhode Island. But on average, I will be spending about three days per state and interviewing as many priests and military chaplains and first responder chaplains that I can possibly interview. Yeah, I'm sure you're bound to get good stories when you're interviewing those various types of priests and chaplains uh, that should be good. So what's going to be the format when you show up, you sit down with an interview, are you going to record them, are you going to videotape them, how are you going to capture these uh, these great moments? Well, I'm going to uh, videotape them, and the reason I want to videotape them is that as people tell the stories, and, and, and people have already told me um, their stories, uh, uh, one chaplain and two priests, and you realize that there's a lot of emotion that comes out when they tell these stories. And I want to be able to capture that emotion and make sure it gets into the book. And, and I don't believe you can do that when you just have an audio recording. I think it becomes a little more sterile. So I'll be videotaping the interviews, and, and basically I, I want them to go into as much detail as possible about their day, about how the day started, what their expectations were for the day, how things changed, how has this event unfolded, what different bits and pieces came into play and the people it affected, and you know, when they need to, if they need to change the names, that's fine with me. It's the story that's important. And, uh, and let, people, let these, these chaplains and these priests get their stories out and, and get it recorded so that I can put it into a book, and we can all, you know, use these stories as, as an uplifting uh, part of our day. I'm sure many people will be inspired by uh, what you put together. And, of course, there's, there's different types of miracles. I mean, we're all—we always talk about physical healings, but there's also spiritual ones, uh, or conversions, reversions, um, people finding vocations. Uh, what types of miracles in particular are you going to be looking for? Well, the um, the— you're right, there are a lot of different types of miracles, but sometimes it is just God's perfect timing when something happens. On, my, uh, on the website that I set up for this project, it's called journeyformiracles.com. On the website, there's a story of Janice and Mike, and this story illustrates God's perfect timing, exactly how he moved all of the pieces to heal Several lives. Yes, there's pain involved in it. One family suffered great loss, but ultimately that was overcome. Another family suffered or was the recipient of great healing. And it was just a phenomenal story. And, and you know, the priest being able to sit there and, and watch everything from a 50,000-foot level, if you will. Just an amazing story. And uh, so, I, you know, those are the types of things that I want. Am I going to receive stories of, you know, uh, apparitions and things of that nature? Probably. 
Am I going to hear stories of healing? Yes, definitely. I, I've already gotten two of those. Um, so those types of stories are going to come in. It's just going to be wherever the stories take me and whatever type of story they are that is just an example of God's love and timing. That's great. And, um, and the result of all of this, you're, you said you're going to be traveling for six months, and you're going to be stopping in uh, talking to priests and chaplains throughout the whole United States. And once you collect all the stories, what's your plan then? How, what's going to be your strategy for assembling them into a project? Well, the first step is to sit down with the videos. Um, I, I'm a very uh, quick writer, so I can take, um, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80 stories, good stories, and I can reduce those down to uh, the videos down to chapters in about 60 days or so. So um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to come back to South Florida, and the day I get back, I'll unpack the car. I will start right in on the editing project, replaying the videos, getting a feel, an outline for the story, and then working the outline straight into, you know, into type or printed text. As I finish a story, I'll pass it off to someone else to let them edit it. And then once it's edited, it'll be set aside for the book. And, and in the meantime, I'll be working on the next chapter. So we're going to turn these around as quickly as possible because I want to have the book to the printer and back from the printer in time to mail the books out for Christmas. Oh, wonderful. That's yeah, great. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a quick turnaround, but I've, I've assembled a pretty good road crew, so there's a lot of things that can happen while I'm on the road. Right. Um, so it'll be a lot easier you know, when I come back. It's just really going to be a project of sitting down and um, reviewing the stories and writing, you know, reviewing the tapes and the interviews and writing the story. Yeah, I, I think the project is so great, and I'm sure that uh, people will wonder where you are on a given day. Uh, you know, what, who is he interviewing now? Has he uncovered any great miracles? What, what's going on? Are you going to be um, posting on Facebook or Twitter or having anything on your website as you go along, along your path? Right. Yeah. Every day, uh, first thing in the morning, I'm going to sit down and blog, and I'm going to write about pretty much the previous day's experience. I, I'm not going to give away any any of the details of the miracles um, sure. that I get from, from the clergy, um, but I might give some details of miracles that people share with me from their own lives. So I'll be doing that, and then I'll be posting a map that shows what my travel plans are for that day. And then I'll tweet while I'm along the way. So if you're if you're a Twitter follower, you'll be able to follow me, and I'll, I'll tweet about where I am and what I'm doing. Um, I've created some perks that if you help sponsor the project, uh, some of the more expensive perks are actually uh, sidetracking me for coffee and lunch or something like that while I'm on the road. Okay. Uh, but it's it's a, it's a way to raise money and, and fund the project. Uh, the project is going to cost over twenty thousand dollars. Um, that's about a um, uh, $100 a day okay. for me to be out on the road. And that, so that's no hotel time. You know, that's, uh, that's just pretty much bare bones. Uh, people volunteering to let me stay in their homes. And I'm getting emails already from people that are saying, oh, if you're going to be in this city, I've got a spare room and a washer and a dryer. It's not <laughs> for you. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sure you'll need plenty of that along the way. I'll need, so. I will need plenty of that along the way. And that's great. And so that's, can, can people, can people find out uh, different ways to help? I mean, do you have uh, a list on your website of, of uh, sort of your expenses or your your needs that you'll be needing going going around? Right. If you uh, if you go to journeyformiracles.com, um, you get on the site. On the right side, there's a um, uh, uh, a banner for an Indiegogo campaign. Now, Indiegogo is a crowdfunding um, site that that a lot of artists use for various projects. And it's a great way to, you know, help little independent guys like me get the money to do something they wouldn't otherwise be able to do. And uh, so there's a little uh, a logo or a little badge on the side for the Indiegogo campaign, so you can click there to donate. Um, on the fundraising page, um, it tells you exactly what I need the money for. You can even download and view the spreadsheet, check my math if you want, uh, <laughs> see exactly how I'm going to use the money. 
Uh, and you'll see it's, you know, it's really about a tank of gas a day and, and uh, three meals, and they're not extravagant meals. So, you know, you're talking $60, $80 a day just doing that. The oil change every few weeks, you know, that kind of stuff. So it's, uh, it's pretty bare bones out there. And, uh, but it'll be interesting. It'll be fun. And, um, and it's something that I'm just absolutely excited about doing. That's great. Now, this is Michael O'Neill. You're listening to the Miracle Hunter radio show. We're talking right now with Phil Petrie about his project, Journey for Miracles. Uh, now, Phil, tell us, uh, what, what do you love about miracles? What, what draws you to them? Why, why would you spend six months of your life chasing after them? Why do you think that they're important? Well, I, I, think, I think there's a misunderstanding about them. I, I think oftentimes we, we look for the fantastic. We look for the supernatural, the, the, you know, the, the earth moving. I need a miracle today. Um, and if it doesn't happen, we even feel disappointed. And, and I think there's the word miracle is often misused. If you, if you see that, you know, that diving catch in the end zone that was just an amazing spectacle to see, people say, that was a miracle. Well, no, not really. It wasn't. Uh, so there's the way the word is used, what people expect and believe, I think, are, are just different things. From my own side, you know, I, I've experienced something in, in my life that I look at it as something, a gift from God, but it was a very bad experience. But the result, how I used that experience and my understanding of it from my relationship with God turned out to be very positive for me. Many years ago, I had a, a, a son born, and he lived for seven months, and he died. Um, they called it crib death. Oh, and, okay. and it was a, it, it was a tragic loss. But when you go through an experience like this, you, you, you have to question, why, God? Why did you do this? How, what did I do to deserve this? And then you realize that God has his own plan. And as a, as a Christian, who am I to question God? And if I really, truly believe in the power and the love and the grace of God, then why can't I believe that he was, he was demonstrating that power, that love, and that grace when he took my son? How do I know he didn't take my son to save him from a lifetime of physical pain? from disease, from something that, that I had no understanding of? And, and the answer is, I don't know that. I just have to accept that God did. So when, it was, when my next children came around, I, and I have four children, I have two sons and two daughters, I realized that this is my opportunity to become the best father I can humanly be. I, I read every parenting book I could get my hands on. I, I realized that there was no meeting worth staying late for and missing that soccer game or that Little League game, that it was far more important to be present for those than it was anything else. And as a consequence, I've got four great kids. So when I look at the travesty that happened to me, I realized that there were gifts buried within that, that experience that I wouldn't normally have seen had I not relied upon my faith in God. Yeah, I mean, that, thank you for sharing that, that story. I, I have to commend you on your, on your trust and faith in God. I mean, I think that would be a, a difficult thing for, for anyone, and, and that the, the way you are, what you're able to take away from that is, is, is amazing. And, and that kind of dovetails with another question that, uh, that I think a lot of people who are interested in miracles or wonder about miracles, they always ask the same question, which is, why does God grant a miracle to some people and not to others? Um, what, what do you have to say about that? I, I know your, your answer there kind of gave us a little bit of a, of a, of a taste of that, but what, what's your thought on that? Why does God well, give miracles to some and not to others? I, I, I think... I think he does give us all miracles. I think sometimes it's a matter of perspective, or 
I think we need to wait for time to play out for us to see that miracle. Uh, you know, I, I, I see a, a, a dear friend of mine um, was battling cancer, and she was diagnosed, she was cured, she was diagnosed, she was cured, she was diagnosed a third time, and they told her, look, if, it doesn't, if it's not curable this time, you're probably not going to live. So she's sitting here, she's lost her house, she's lost everything, she's moved in with family, everything is horrible. So finally, the, the cancer was in remission, um, she'd been through some surgical procedures, it, it was very devastating for her, and it got to a point where she needed to move back up to New Jersey to be with her, her brothers and sisters who could care for her, her immediate family. Mm-hmm. So she's there for... Um, two years now, she's engaged, she's getting married in September, and so all of these things that were, were horrible tragedies for her to experience, on the other end, have given her a gift that she wouldn't have found or wouldn't have had, had she not had to return to New Jersey. She would not have met this man. He would have not have come into her life. Huh. So I, I, th- I, I think what happens is, is that when we ask for a miracle we sometimes don't look at the answer we're giving. And I think sometimes the answer takes a little longer to play out than what we want. And it may not be the answer that we want, but it doesn't mean the gift wasn't there. Sure. No, that's that's uh, absolutely true. And sometimes that perspective is hard to have when we're in, thro- in the throes of a situation uh, like that. But, oh, but no, that's, that's absolutely right. Absolutely. I mean, when, when you're in pain and you have a need, it is very, very, very difficult to maintain that long-term perspective. It really is. And that's one of the reasons why I think this book is very important. This project is important, is that for when we are in pain, if we can go and say, okay, you know, we can read something and find stories similar to what we're going through and say, okay, there is a solution to this. There is something on the other end of this. I know other people have gone through this, and they've come out with God's grace, and the gift has been really, really amazing. I can get there, too, and my gift will be that way, too. Sure. I'm, I'm sure you're going to run into some incredible stories. And, uh, and a question for you. Do you, now, do you have all these interviews lined up ahead of time, or when you go to a city, do you search around for who looks like they have a good miracle story. How, what's the process for well, you know, getting in touch with all these priests? I know you said you had that master list that you sent out, too. Uh, what, what's been the response and feedback? How do you, how do you get in touch with uh, these it, various stories? It's amazing. Uh, it's amazing. The, uh, I, I get emails every day from priests and chaplains saying, I'm not sure if this is what you're looking for, but let me tell you this story. Okay. And... Uh, it, it's absolutely amazing that the stories that I'm getting from them, and, and, and I can, you know, write them back or call them if they give me their number and say, yes, this is exactly what I'm, I'm looking for. Would you be willing to sit down and, and, you know, let me record the story so I can capture the whole thing in, in detail? And the answer is always yes. Sure. And uh, I mean, what, what, what's, been, what's been the response to this project? I mean, just from my point of view, um, in my own experience, whether it's sort of uh, talking amongst friends or speaking at a conference and talking to the people who are there, everybody's got a miracle story. Everybody either knows somebody who, who's got a great story or some, something that happened to them. Everybody loves miracles and has a story. What, what's, what's been your uh, experience with people reacting to your project of collecting these stories? Uh, I, I think it's on two sides. I, I, I think when the miracle happens to us, um, we generally are quiet about it because most people just won't believe us if we tell them. Sure. They, they just won't believe us. Uh, my, the exterminator that came to my house uh, a few weeks ago, and, and we were talking about this project, and he goes, had it not been for God, I wouldn't have met my wife. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, oh, I was supposed to volunteer at this organization from this hour to this hour. And my car broke down, so I couldn't make it. So I went, you know, as soon as I could get there. I would have left an hour before the person that I met and married was due to get there. 
<laughs> because, because my car broke down, I got there while she was there. We met, and we've been married for 25 years. Huh. To him, that is his miracle. Sure. And so, but, you know, it was, it was actually a little more work to get that out of him, but it was there. And, and once, he, once, he, once he admitted it publicly, then he was like, okay, yeah, this, you know, this feels good to say this. <laughs> So, yeah. so I think I think a lot of people have miracles, and and I actually cr- uh, created a place on journeyformiracles.com dot com where people can go in and type in and share their own miracles, so other people can read those. And I think it's important to get them out. I think it's uh, massively important for people to understand that these do happen in our daily lives, and it is okay to talk about them. Sure. Um, what would you What would you say that? In general, what what are people's takeaways from miracle stories? What does it mean for their lives to hear the testimonies of other people and, and the blessings they've received? What's what's been the well, feedback that you've gotten? I, I think it depends upon how where where the miracle story comes from. If it's the story of my brother's dog groomer's sister's brother in law's uncle, people just immediately roll their eyes. But if it's, if it's a very first-hand story, this happened to me, then that becomes a very vulnerable moment, a very, a very sharing moment. And people can connect with that. They really, they really enjoy connecting with that. And so I, I think overall people are, are happy uh, when they hear these stories. I think, like I say, there, are, there is some apprehension when it's too far removed. Sure. And and I think well, there, some skepticism is probably a good thing in that case. Yeah, I think I think people will enjoy the variety of miracle stories that you're going to put together. You know, maybe not all of them hit everybody in the same way, but I'm sure that with what people are going through personally, they read a story that sort of pertains to them or is similar to their story. They're really going to get engaged uh, reading this book when it becomes available. Um, and tell us, uh, before we wrap up here today, tell us again, the project, the book will be out by Christmas, right. and people can get more information if they want to learn about the project or if they want to donate, which would be great. Uh, how, can, how can they do that? Well, you can go to journeyformiracles.com, and everything you need is on the site. On the, on the uh, um, homepage, um, there's a video where I explain the project. Over on the right, there's a banner. You can read The Miracle of Janice and Mike, and there is more to the story. I will tell you that now, and I shared it with Michael. So maybe uh, sometime next week, Michael can tell you the end of the story. It's really, really an amazing story. Uh, The ending that's on the website is amazing. But knowing that little extra bit, you you just have to shake your head and just say, only God can do this. That's right. And uh, it, it, it is just really mind-blowing. If you have time, I would like to share one more, uh, one miracle with your audience, though, that I think... Great. Yeah, I think people are excited to hear what, what are the types of things they'll be reading in the well, book or reading on the website, sure. This is a story about a, uh, a black teenager um, in L.A., and he was uh, 15 years old. He was shot of the stomach uh, about 8 o'clock one night coming back from... Uh, event. And he was taken to the hospital. They revived him several times. And I mean, they were just barely keeping this kid alive. They'd done as much to repair his insides as they could. And the priest was called and told that the boy would never make it through the night. They were trying to locate his family so that the boy could become an organ donor. The teen lay unconscious on the bed, and like I said, they had revived him several times already. And the priest gave him last rites. By morning, this young man was sitting up in bed like he had a broken arm. Hmm. No one, not the, not the doctors, not the nurses, not the, the mother, not the father, not the brother, not even the priest believed that this young man would make it through the night. And none of them could believe that the young man was sitting there the next morning, literally, like he was in there for a broken arm. Wow. And that is a story of healing 
and just the power and mercy of God that you have so many people with all that we know and you know these these doctors have so much experience with gunshots and and they know what the outcome is and then all of a sudden one person who should never ever ever is sitting up in bed talking and laughing huh. well yeah that that's an amazing story and i'm sure your book will be chock full of many Absolutely. different stories of various types and people will be will, will be thrilled and, and they'll uh definitely be be interested to read that so Thank you so much, Phil, for joining us today. Um, and again, your project is called Journey of Miracles. And Journey, you, Journey for Journey, Miracles. Journey for Miracles, and you can find it at journeyformiracles.com online. So thanks so much for being with us today, Phil. Thank you for having me, Michael. And that was uh, Phil Petri of Journey for Miracles. Again, you can find more information on his project, and you can donate to his project at journeyformiracles.com. And that's all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank Phil for joining us on the show. And I want to remind you that on March 29th, I'll be giving a talk at a Totally Yours conference in Rolling Meadows, Illinois, and I'll be discussing how the apparition of Medjugorje is similar to and different from other apparitions throughout history. For more information on attending this conference, please visit MiracleHunter.com or TotallyYours.com. And next week, I'm very excited to have uh, author Catherine O'Dell on the program. She's written one of the top resources on Marian apparitions. It's entitled, Those Who Saw Her. So really excited. It's one of my favorite books on the topic, and we'll be excited to get a chance to talk with her on the program. And uh, be sure to visit 365dayswithmary.com to find out how Our Lady is honored around the world, and always visit MiracleHunter.com as your source for miracles. Thank you for joining me today on Miracle Hunter, where it doesn't matter if you're a believer or a skeptic, it's always worth the hunt. You're tuned to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you just heard was a rebroadcast of Miracle Hunter with Michael O'Neill.